Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Fat Guy Forum. This is your host, Gourmet. I'm glad you're here with us as I bring you another guy's story fresh from the Fat Guy world. Uh, with me today, I have my friend Matt Shin. He's also known as Matt Burns Fat. And uh, I'm just really excited for you to get to know him today. Matt, thanks so much for being on, being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me here. Of course. And, and we're going to kick things off. We're going to jump right into it. Matt, can you tell the people listening what qualifies you to be on the Fat Guy Forum? Huh. What qualifies me to be on the Fat Guy Forum? Well, I would still say that today I still am a fat guy. Uh, I have been, you know, for most of my life. And um, it wasn't until I started to pay attention to what I was putting into my body where any of that started to change, but you know how it is. It, it's, it's always a struggle with everything, you know? So I would say every day I am a fat guy and I enjoy being able to talk to other people who feel that way about themselves. That That's awesome, man. Why don't, why don't you dive into your story then? Take us back to the beginning. Let us know where it all started for you. So, um, I, I'd always been overweight. I'd always struggled with trying to lose weight. I had always struggled with, you know, all the things that we struggle with. And I was living in Austin, Texas. I had a roommate who came home one day. She had some issues with PCOS, um, Hashimoto's disease, MTHFR, a few other, um, uh, what, what is that word? The, the thyroid, a couple other thyroid diseases. And she really, wanted to reverse those markers and she was she had a doctor who prescribed her the ketogenic diet and out of solidarity i decided you know what i'm going to try this and so we went through our cabinets and threw away everything that was you know not keto friendly so to speak and so started our journey i lost 30 pounds in the first month she lost somewhere like 10 or 15 and it went on from there kind of snowballed and, you know, you, you've been there since the beginning of it and you've seen, you know, how quickly I was able to lose 200 pounds. And, uh, after I lost 200 pounds, I decided I could, um, walk without my feet hurting and went on a wonderful journey, uh, across the Appalachian trail all up and down the East coast. Right. Right. So. You've done a lot in a, in a short amount of time. So let, let's go back to, to the, to the mm -hmm. starting point then for you and, and dive into that a little bit. So how, what did you weigh at your heaviest? I was point? over 400 pounds at my heaviest. It's hard to say exactly, but uh, the last number that I remember seeing was 410, 415. Right. And, and you, unlike some other, like when I was over 400 pounds, over 500 pounds, I was incredibly sedentary. You you had a job that kept I did. I was feet, a bartender. Um, I, I worked in security and behind the bar at various different bars in Austin. So I definitely moved a lot, and that gave me the availability to. Um, I liken it to a functional alcoholic. It gave me the ability to deny or be in denial about my health status at the moment. Mm. And, and were you seeing, were, did you have any health problems at that size or was it more? There just were a lot of health problems. It, I mean, it, it's all tied to weight. It was, um, you know, I, I had, um, hyperglycemia, so I would have spells where just like my, my blood sugar was just out of whack. Um, I had feet issues. I had issues with my heels. Are you still there? 
Oh, sorry, my computer shut off. <laughs> I had oh, yeah. feet issues. I, I had issues with my heels. Um, I I couldn't I couldn't walk for long periods of time without feeling that pain. I mean, I walked through it and I dealt with it, but it just it became an issue sometimes where I mm. would be in pain and waking up in the morning was hard. Getting down the stairs in the morning was hard, and I just kind of like I dealt with it because my motto has always been: if you're going to be dumb, you got to be tough. So you just grin and bear it, you know. Mm. And, and was that how you kind of like lived your whole life up to that point? Like, did you struggle with your weight or was it just always just a thing that was there? Yes and no. I mean, I, I, I would say that it's, and I'm sure a lot of people would agree with this, that it's hard to be that overweight and not at least be thinking about it most of the time. You know, I, I've, mm. I've gotten people ask me once in a while, like, what was the catalyst for your weight loss? And I'm just like, I was fat. You know, I, I don't have any other answer than it just that was in my mind at all times when I was that heavy. It's just this is a problem. I'm going to have to address it at some point. And, you know, a lot of that led to things like alcoholism and um, my my bouts with depression and all that kind of stuff. Like I, I self-medicated a lot because I put it on the back burner and just tried to pretend that it wasn't there. And and before this this big success you had a couple of years ago. Um with with the keto with the low carb way of eating had you had any success with diets before or was it just something that just never really coalesced for you i i had brief success and i really i don't know if i could even call it a diet because i didn't really change the way i ate my lifestyle changed at about 1920 when um i had a brief uh, run in with the law and i got really stressed out and had to take on two jobs to pay off a lawyer and all those fees. And I lost probably about 80 pounds at that point in my life, but I turned 21 and all of that changed. Well, I can, I can definitely relate to that. Like my, the first time I had a major weight loss, the kickstart to it had nothing to do with me making a choice to change anything. It was, uh, my car was yeah. stolen and I had no money. And so when, mm -hmm. when you lose your access to the food or, you know, when your resources have to go another direction, sometimes, which is, is also, it's always funny to me because it also proves that theory of like, you know, are we quote unquote naturally fat or, you know, is it something in our, you know, something we're choosing right. to do that's keeping us there and clearly Absolutely. take away the resources and the weight drops and you're like, oh, well that, yep. that kind of, that removes that excuse from my wallet because I can't say mm -hmm. anymore that I, no matter what I try, I stay the same. Well, I guess not. I guess not. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, I just had a conversation this morning with my girlfriend about like the kinds of foods that we're eating too, you know, and it, that, that has, that plays an enormous role. And that's something that, that you know, we've learned. It's, it, it, it definitely depends upon how we are treating our bodies and there are, there are ways to change it. And we're not just all big boned and just stuck being the way that we are. Right. And and how were you treating your body when you were over four hundred pounds? What what was your diet like? What were you eating? Not your weight loss uh, diet, but just in general, like what were you? What was yeah. your? Because you know some people well, have different different things they're they're drawn to mm -hmm. food wise. Like what was what was that yes. like for you? My biggest contributor to my my weight gain and um, size was beer. Honestly, mm. I I could I could drink like. A six pack to, to 12 beers just on a regular night. Like after work, I get done work at 10 o'clock. I work the happy hour shift on my way home, pick up a couple six packs and just hang out, play video games. 
and I, I could I could put down twelve without feeling it. So my biggest contributor was beer. I'd wake up, you know, the next day and I'm hungry at like noon, so Domino's it is, you know, and I, I get a I get a medium pizza and, you know, some chicken tenders or whatever they have there and because it's convenient and it's somewhat affordable. So I just get that. You know, and when I when I first started paying attention to what I was eating or, you know, the the time that it it actually took and stuck with me, I entered into um, you know, one of those apps that tracks your calories and everything. I entered what I ate in a typical day and it was astronomical compared to what I was eating on in in my new way of eating. It was like a weekly amount of carbs, calories, and everything else that I was eating in one day. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And if you would have asked – Go ahead. I was going to say, if you would have asked me back then if I felt like I ate healthily, I would have told you I did because I did try to make some responsible decisions. I would try like whole wheat bread instead of white bread and like little things like that, that, the kind of tricks that they they try to tell us to do to eat healthier. But I was still just like – I was I was slamming in carbs and calories like it was nothing. Oh yeah. And and I think that's one of the big things like until you know better, you you don't necessarily do better. And you yeah. can think you're doing better. You can think you're doing okay. Like I I hear that from people when they talk about, you know, a friend tells them to do like six small meals a day and make it mostly rice or make it, you know, right. most, you know, stick to wheat stick to wheat products and things mm-hmm. along those lines and yep. they're like and I was still hungry and you know, I I wasn't losing weight and and like all of these things for them. Um so you went keto mm-hmm. is is really like the, the the turning point for you nutritionally. Yes. Uh, what were the what were the major changes you made? Like, were you because uh, you 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 and I know like being out there in the keto sphere, there's all different kinds of approaches to keto. What was your approach in the beginning? It in in the very beginning, it was simply about just sticking to macros. I think that's kind of where everybody starts with keto. It's just like. Here, here's the macros. Here's the rules that we have to confine to. So let's stick with those. And then after you kind of get the feel for that, that's when people start to deviate. Some people do, you know, dirty keto, lazy keto, whatever, whatever they want to call their version of whatever they're doing. And what I ended up doing because I like to be, I'm a perfectionist. So I like to like take on whatever it is that I'm doing and be perfect at it. I really chased the whole idea of like, whole foods, um, non-processed foods. And if I do have to consume carbs, I was making sure that they're carbs that were good for me, like cruciferous greens and things like that. So I, I really kind of like, I took that whole aspect of my body is my temple to an nth degree and really just kind of only put things in my body that were going to affect me the right way. And, and clearly it worked, you know, that 30 pounds in a month, uh, you know, over 200, over 200 pounds eventually. Yeah. Uh, throughout all of this, cause you talked about beer mm-hmm. being one of the biggest contributors, you know, to your weight gain. What, what was it like to start to address your relationship with alcohol yeah. at the same time you're uh, re- at the same time you're working on your relationship with food? It seems like two, two major mountains to climb at the same time. It really was. It really was. And it, it wasn't until, so uh, I'm, I'm going to cite the one book that, I like to recommend to people who went through what I went through and it's a, it's a book called uh, the masks of masculinity by Lewis house. Mm-hmm. Um, in this book, he, he explores the idea of the different masks that we wear as men in 
fitting into societal norms. And this book really helped me to identify the reasons why I was feeling the way that I was about certain things. And it helped me identify that in my alcoholism. So ultimately, it started with me just like, I'm I'm just going to stop drinking beer for my diet. And that's it, you know. And after a little while and after becoming more self-aware and understanding and and honestly just feeling great with with the not drinking, I decided I'm just going to be done drinking altogether, at least for now, you know. So I just – I stopped cold turkey and it wasn't until I had already done a great deal of addressing the first mountain, so to speak, of the weight loss and and addressing my my physical health that I really turned and looked at – addressing the dependency on alcohol as a whole different thing. At first it was all wrapped up into the weight loss. Mm. Which it sounds like that was the avenue that you needed. Yeah. Um, you know, like that was a, a smart, a smart attack plan for you. Mm-hmm. What was it like to still be working in bars though? When you're, when you're, when you're dealing with that? It was hard. It was really hard. I, I would be, you know, bartending a happy hour and I would have somebody in front of me who, you know, Clearly, their issue is you have to stop drinking. Mm. But the only problem with that is if I'm telling somebody who is giving me money for drinks that they should stop drinking, then I'm affecting my income. You know, I found myself for a while um, being around the temptation was no problem for me. I I would I would drink shots of soda water. You know, I still partied. I still had fun, but I just Mm. didn't drink. Um, But my main problem with it was identifying that alcohol for me was a poison and trying to not relate that to other people, trying to not mm. say, you know, to somebody sitting at the bar that I feel great not drinking and you should try it, you know, because it affects me. It affects my income. Right. Oh yeah. And that's ultimately why after a while I had to get away from it because I was having those conversations too often and I didn't want to hurt the business of the owners of the bar that I was working in. And that's that that's so in, insightful because I, that relates to to the stories you see of like pastry chefs that go keto or you know mm-hmm. I I was recording with a dude the other day who he works part time delivering pizza wow and we didn't really get we we talked about that and how it affects him like his perspective and things along those lines yeah but then afterwards I was like I wish I had asked him about like what happens when you deliver pizza to someone who's like your before picture, right? Like, you know, right. like what, what goes through your, like, what goes through your mind? Cause I think about that. Like, I think about mm-hmm. a lot, like what was, what was the delivery dude thinking about when I was 500 pounds and he's dropping two pizzas off to me or yeah. the grocery guy is carrying in, you know, six boxes of little Debbie's and eight mm-hmm. two liters of Coke. Like yep. what, you know, what are they thinking? So I just wonder, like, it's, I, I think that's just a really unique perspective you have, like thinking like, Okay, here you are in a place where you know for yourself you've identified your personal perspective on alcohol, mm-hmm. but you're also then thinking about the person you're giving it to, yeah. and like that 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 there's a there's a unique spin to that that story there that I don't think people would think about sometimes. Right, it, it's it makes it it makes it hard to you're this is a poison and I am literally poisoning you. You know, it it really takes a toll on your well being. And, and how do you reconcile that? Because I know it's an industry that you still work in. So is it mm-hmm. more now like you think like you have the perspective of, you know, obviously adults making choices and, yeah. you know, it's not your place to speak up. Like where, where, where does that come to for you? So I, 
it, it is a gray area. Um, I did step away from the service industry with the intention to not come to it when I hiked the Appalachian Trail, but things just kind of fell in my lap. I was offered a job at a bar in Vermont and took it. And um, it at this point, the, the, the way that I have found to kind of feel better about that gray area is that I am very strict about you know, there there are laws that say that you can't serve somebody who shows clear signs of alcoholism and things like that. So I am very strict about either slowing down or shutting down service to somebody who I think I shouldn't be serving because they might be showing me those problems. And that's one of the ways that I get through that um, internal struggle, if you will. And the other ways is it's I, I just like you said, they're adults making their own decisions and. Hopefully, potentially, they're not, never going to let it get out of control in their lives like it did in mine. You know, I can't expect everyone to be, you know, there, there are people out there who can drink two or three drinks a week and, you know, be successful and go to work and never have an issue with it and never think about it. And then there's people like me who, you know, when, when I drink, when I have a, a bottle of whiskey in front of me, I feel determined to eliminate that bottle by drinking it, you know? So... I just trust that not everybody is like me. Oh, for sure. Like I there there have been cupcakes in the break room in my office all week. Mm-hmm. And you know, I watch people eating them and like on the inside, like I make jokes to our office manager about that I'm going to accidentally drop them on the floor or flip the table or spray Windex on them depending yeah. on my mood. Um but then I can see that the obviously the people that are taking one cupcake and walking away aren't doing having the same thought process that i am which is like what would it be like to eat all of these cupcakes yeah you know i would eat all of these cupcakes how are you not licking the 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 frosting on that lid Mm -hmm. that was the thing that got me (laughs) you know how when you when you put that there was there was this mound of frosting on the lid that was there for three days and i literally was like why isn't someone just rubbing a finger through that frosting and eating it like why is that poor frosting being neglected like who what kind of do I work with sociopaths? <laughs> like, are they not human? Like, literally, people are eating these cupcakes that yeah. are missing frosting because it's yep. on and the it's, lid. It's, it's, and yeah. I know that. And, oh no! Like it's it's and like that's the insanity inside my the head. Simple answer is food. Like, not I li- that literally what. Yep. Oh yeah, exactly, exactly. Like they're you know so it, it is that idea that people can manage things differently yeah. than some of us do. Like like I see people. Like I have good friends that have lost as much mm-hmm. weight as I have or more that did it just by counting calories, but still ate Oreos right. and Skippy peanut butter and hot dog, you mm-hmm. know, like a hot dogs on rolls and like whatever. And I know for me, I could never do that. And so I have this perspective like and it's funny, too, because I more so now instead of hearing people saying, you know, why don't you have more keto people on your podcast? I get more feedback where people are like. I thought this would be a keto podcast. And I'm like, well, I don't just talk to, to keto people, you know, or the, the question I get is, why aren't you pushing the keto diet on everyone? Like, why aren't, why aren't you telling people that they should be doing it? And I'm like, because not everyone has to, like, not everyone has to do what right. I do. Absolutely. Like, not everyone, you know, I, I always encourage people to find what works for them. Like, and I, I think it, you know, and it's not the same, like for, like, I, I don't drink. Uh, not because I've ever had a problem controlling alcohol, but because I have a problem controlling myself when I drink alcohol in terms of food. And so I know I, I don't I know I don't like that. 
I know like that's, and I know that's not a control behavior. Like it's an enabling behavior and all of that. So I can't then just say to someone else I'm sitting with, well, I need you to get that away from me. You know, like you need to not do that. Like it's, it, it starts to become Mm -hmm. about like, obviously if, if I was, you know, addicted to cocaine (laughs) and I walk into, I I walked into the office bathroom and there's three people doing lines (laughs) off the sink. I would be like, okay, yeah, this shouldn't be happening at work. Um, you know, but if I'm in a restaurant and someone's exactly. eating a blooming onion, yep. I can't be like, you are murdering yourself with the fried onion. Like, also, I mean, do people not know how many carbs are in an onion itself? Come on, people. Um, <laughs> but, like, but, you know, for, for some people, those are carbs that are acceptable in right. their lives and, and don't affect their bodies the way that they affect yours. And mine, of you course, know? of course. Don't. And, and speaking to, you know, the idea of, you not pursuing a, a keto podcast. Like I'm at the point in my life where I would not even really refer to myself as following a ketogenic way of eating anymore. Mm. It's it, I'm, I'm it's, I would still consider it low carb, but yeah. I definitely don't adhere to with the same strictness that I did, you know, two years ago. Well, I saw you eating a potato this week. You did a sweet potato. I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. That's, not just a potato, a sweet potato. <laughs> and you also, it has sweet in the name. Yeah. And 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 honestly, I didn't see it on Instagram. I was stalking you in person. Uh, <laughs> oh, just look, I was in Vermont looking. I was yeah, I was in Vermont watching. I wanted to see what you were eating um, specifically. Yeah. I was far away. I had I had binoculars. Um, and I saw the. I know you also saw all of the terrible things that I ate while I was hiking too. Well, I mean, let's. You know, I we are going to segue into the hike and like we're that's something we're yeah. going to have to talk about. Um, yeah, but I, I think it's good to, you know, like, but it's also not you. You haven't. Quote unquote, fallen off the wagon when it comes to living mm-hmm. your life, though, like, right. it's it's not like you're. It's it's not like we're talking because Matt's regained 150 pounds post Appalachian mm-hmm. Trail and is like. I now live in Vermont and I drink maple syrup in the morning. Like, you know, I, you, you look at what else is on your plate and you're still making some good, you know, you're making good choices. Like, and maybe they're not, yeah. we, maybe we're not always all making a hundred percent great choices, but mm-hmm. it's not, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's okay for us to redefine ourselves at different times. Like I used to, I, I used to be exclusively paleo. Like that was like what I did. And now I eat, I eat dairy right. and cheese. Like it's just a part of my right. life. Like, yep. but and, I, know, I, I did wake up this morning and step on a scale and I am 30 pounds heavier than I was when I finished my hike. So I do have to tighten it up a little bit and cut a few of my, uh, uh, small victory foods. I have to cut some of those out and really kind of tighten it up a little bit because I do have a 50 mile run in two weeks and I am training for a hundred mile run in a couple in a, in less than a year. So, I definitely have to get back on the wagon. Let's get to that by mm-hmm. first going back to Matt loses 200 pounds okay. and then des- then decides that he is going to um, change his life completely for a couple yep. months and start walking and not mm-hmm. stop. Um, you know, it's like a very Forrest Gump moment <laughs> in your life. But like a lot of people, you know, you decide to tackle the Appalachian Trail, which yep. is an an incredible thing but to me i i think about the fact that where you were before physically and mm-hmm. then you go to that place um 
So what brought you to the decision to do it? Like, where did that come from? So I, I, I grew up in New Jersey and we would always go um, on camping trips at uh, Delaware Water Gap in Pennsylvania, which is a point where the Delaware River actually goes through the Appalachian Mountains. And the Appalachian Trail walks right through that town. So being in there, being camping, and um, we, we, were, we were three miles away from the Appalachian Trail in our regular campsite that we would go to every year. And we would hike up to the AT and I would see through hikers. I was probably like 10 or 11 or 12. And we would encounter these through hikers, talk to them for a little bit. I always thought that that was kind of a cool thing to do, but I never thought that I would have the lifestyle that I could actually do it. Um, cut to me being 30, a bartender who is, you know, not drinking and trying to figure out what to do with his life. I had just lost 200 pounds and discovered how much I actually like movement on foot by running or walking. Sold my car, right. sold almost everything I own, became kind of a minimalist. And I was in a position in my uh, social and romantic life where I didn't have anything else happening. I was in a transition period because my roommate had just become engaged and I didn't, I, I couldn't be in her space anymore. So I had to leave that. So it was like, I'm either having another year lease here in Austin, or I'm going to completely upturn everything and do something wild. So that's what I did. I moved back to New Jersey, lived in my parents' house for a few months, saved some money, and went on a journey to hike the Appalachian Trail. Which is incredible, man. Like, for those people that don't know, because there might somehow be some people out there that don't, how long is the Appalachian Trail? 2,192 miles. And if you walk the approach trail at the beginning, then you're adding eight miles. So technically, I walked 2,100 and 2,200 miles. Oh, wow. math. Yeah. And that, that takes three, day, three or four days total? You walk four or 500 miles a day, I'm assuming. Is that, is that normal? Yeah. No? Yeah, that's not accurate. No. Um, so the most, most through hikers of the Appalachian Trail – take between five and six months i ended up i was aiming to do it in three and a half months but some things happened along the trail that slowed me down so i ended up doing it in four and a half months that that's wild man like how do you get ready for that like what did what did you have to do to prep so this is a complicated answer because what i did to prep was walk you know, I, I walked, I, I, like I said, I sold my car and I just walked as much as I could. I walked to and from work. Um, I would have a day off and I'd just go out and walk 10, 15 miles, you know, but I will honestly say that none of that level walking on asphalt on beautiful days in Austin, Texas equated to what I went through on the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> oh, sure. So, yeah. Realistically, if I went back and tried to quote unquote train for it again, I would have at least incorporated, you know, a couple hours a day on a stair mat or something. Mm. And how do you, so that's physical, talking about physical preparation. Like how do you get ready? Mm -hmm. Cause like for me, I start to then think about like mentally and financially uh, and socially, like getting ready yeah. to like take yourself out of the world, put yourself in this other world and survive it. Like even mm -hmm. like eating, like eating and drinking and all of that. Like, right. how do you approach every part of getting ready? So the Appalachian Trail um, is 
in terms of the three long trails in the U.S., you have Appalachian Trail, you have Pacific Crest Trail, and Continental Divide Trail. The Appalachian Trail is the easiest one to um, acquire food on because there are towns and stores every few days. You, okay. you're, never, you're never going more than four or five days, depending on your mileage, your daily mileage, without running into somewhere to resupply. So knowing that going into it, there wasn't too much planning about food. I just had to look at the map and see if there were any stretches that were more than that where I should just mail drop something and have you know a box of food sent to me, which I did a few of those. I put together a few mail drops just to save money in some of the northern states where it got more expensive to buy food and in some of the areas where I knew that choices were going to be scarce. Um, mentally, it kind of works out for me because I happen to be one of those people that I get my batteries get drained by interaction with people. Mm. You know, I, I believe they call that an introvert. Yeah. And bar, bartending takes a lot out of me. I, I have to go home and like shut down for a couple hours after a bartending shift, you know? So it kind of worked out for me because hiking is mostly a solitary thing. I mean, there, there's ways to make it social. And in fact, that is what slowed me down on my three month progress is I ran into some people that I got along with and I hiked 1700 miles with them at their pace because I really enjoyed their company. But getting ready for it and being mentally prepared was not much of an issue for me. I knew what to expect when I was going into it. There's a lot of content on YouTube about like what to expect when you're hiking the Appalachian Trail and all this stuff. So mentally, I was all there. In terms of what I'm going to eat, that was fairly simple. It was just adapting myself to the idea that I'm going to be eating cold ramen, and tuna for the next four months, which at this point I could force down some ramen right now if I wanted to, but I absolutely it's the last thing that I want. After four months of eating it, the last thing I want. Um and and you know, socially it was just I you run into a lot of like minded people on the trail. You know, you don't have to you don't have to explain why you're hiking the Appalachian Trail to other people who decided to do it, you know? So but let's talk let's talk food again for a minute Laura. get into the food a little bit because you were you had been you know living low carb before you went on the trail and then on the trail you weren't necessarily low carb per se and obviously you were you were fueling the walking so what was that like were there any physical effects from that or what what was that like for you what, or even what was that like mentally oh yeah there there was um so we all know that changing the uh the food that we eat and reducing the simple carbs can help reduce like things like inflammation and stuff like that so uh jumping into it i mentally i i approached it as if it was my reward myself for being so strict for two years i'm gonna eat whatever i want on this trail so you know at first it was just like a little bit of yeah i don't want to eat too much of this stuff i don't i didn't I didn't start eating Snickers until I got a couple weeks in and realized that I really enjoyed them again. Um, so I tried to stay more balanced in the beginning, but the introduction of those other carbs definitely had an effect on, you know, my joints that were already being overworked. So I was seeing some inflammation and I was seeing a lot of pains in the morning waking up because I wasn't putting the quote unquote appropriate foods in my body. But it also was really rewarding to roll into a town and to, you know, after three days of hiking and eating terrible food to kind of sit down and drink a Coke and eat a Snickers bar. 
You know, that was like the most rewarding thing in the world to a through hiker is to sit down and have a soda and some candy and, you know, even even something as simple as fruit. Like your body just craves calories while you're working it that much every single day. That's wild, man. And and did you yeah. how, did so now I know there's probably some people listening who are trying to wrap their head around eating eating a soda and a Snickers bar and but doing that much physical activity like did you end the trail weighing less you, than you did when you started? I weighed almost exactly the same. I went into it um I I increased my fat consumption 4 or 5 weeks prior to starting the trail. So I my goal was to increase my body fat percentage. So I increased the, the fat and I kind of ramped down my running. I know I did a big 40-mile run across New Jersey the day before I, I left the hike. But before that, I kind of ramped it down. And I was trying to put as much body fat on my body to as I could to start. So I lost a lot of that initially in the first half of the hike. I, I was I was really light in the first half of the hike. And then the second half of the hike, I started to – because that's where you really get through like New Hampshire and the really mountainous areas and it's a lot of hard work. And so I started to develop a lot more muscle on my legs and upper body that I hadn't had in the first couple months. So I came out leaner than I went into it, but I was about the same weight. Oh, wow. And, and what before, cause I, I, I don't want to rush to the end of, of that journey during the journey during during the the hike of the trail what was the hardest part mentally and what was the hardest part physically the hardest part mentally man um i mean i was i was very open and honest through you know my social media about what i dealt with mentally through the hike especially towards the end when uh, i was dealing with injuries and i was very low on funds and um right yeah you saw all that and it was just it became it became really hard and there were days where i would sit on top of a mountain and look at you know what i had in my bank account and how much further i have until you know my my next until i need my next resupply like how much food i have and i'm just like i don't know if i can make this happen you know this might be my last day on trail i might have to call it today you know and then i i would be honest about that on my Instagram. And then, you know, I, I refer to everybody who helped me out throughout that as like my trail angels, but you know, somebody would reach out and just be like, Hey, I, I just dropped some money in your GoFundMe, you know, and that really helped me to get through every single day that I had like that, where I really actually thought that this was my last day on trail. And I experienced so many days like that. So mentally feeling that way, took its toll on me and towards the end of it especially in the last like week i was just burning miles because i'm just like i need to get this done i i just i don't want to be out here anymore i'm over this you know um but physically i mean physically it was great i would i would wake up in the morning and if i didn't feel like hiking yet at you know five in the morning when the sun came up i didn't have to hike you know i could i could hang out at camp until eight nine and walk eight miles and then set up camp that day if i wanted to so physically, it was great because I got to listen to my body for the entire time. And if my body was telling me that it wanted to hike more, I would just hike more, you know? I have to think there have to be some stories from this experience that that you would want to share with people, like things that 
your the, the most memorable moments or or things that surprise you the most about it all like i i think there's something there's a mystique about this whole experience i think for people that haven't even considered doing it like what 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 else do you what what do you want to share about this that you haven't been able to talk about? So some of the takeaways for me from my hike, um, or one of the biggest ones, is the culture that exists in the towns around the trails, where there are people out there who legitimately like they they go out and spend their weekends out there helping the the people who are hiking through their town. You know, these some of these hikers may not even have an intention of spending a single dollar in that town. But these townspeople, they'll if they're driving by, as, as simple as just driving by and see you walking, they'll pull over and offer you a ride. Um, there are people and organizations that will go out to trailheads and grill and feed hikers and help them out, offer them anything if they need it. There's you know people who leave tack to the trailhead signs like, hey, if you need a place to crash or if you need this or need that, call us, we'll help you out. There's just so many people in these towns and it, it, that that are willing to help. And it really kind of reinvigorated my trust and love for the communal aspect of society that we have here in, in this country. You know, um, one of my fellow hikers, <coughs> excuse me, early on, who I, I didn't go through, I, I, I must have gone through this area early in the morning before they set up, but he mentioned how he went through and there was this group of people who were, uh, feeding feeding them and other hikers food and he looked around at the bumper stickers and they happened to have uh bumper stickers on their cars that were politically you know the opposite of how this person felt and it kind of helped him to realize that even even though we feel differently on things you're still out here helping me and i think that was a great moment for him and anybody else who walked through that point and uh I, another another thing that I would really love to talk to people or, or tell people about through my experience is that, you know, not everybody who goes and hikes the Appalachian Trail is just like some, you know, homeless, lost, trust fund kid who, you know, just wants to do something to avoid doing work or, you know, whatever the other misconceptions are. You get a lot of questions after you hike the AT and people ask you a lot of really weird things like you know don't 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 you have a, a future don't you have like a job that you want to do you know blah, blah 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 all this other stuff and realistically some people just need to have that experience so that they can become a better person you know for sure and i mean i know when we would dm when you were out there i was constantly asking how many hippies you ran into um, <laughs> you know, because that was, that was my perception. So I can, I can, I can count myself into those people. I, uh, but I, I think that's great <laughs> for, for you to have that experience, you know, not just, not just obviously to do that physical challenge for yourself and the mental challenge, yeah. but then even to, to pick up a, a, you know, to allow your perspective on, on things to mature along the way and realize that the, the impact of those experiences and those people. Yeah. Like getting, mm -hmm. it's not just people yelling at yelling at each other on TV. Then, like you're you're seeing people really actually putting a hand out to other people, regardless of where they're coming from and what they're doing and who they are and what any of their background is or anything along those lines. Like I think that's a there's something beautiful to that. There really is, and and you know I experienced it a little bit more than other hikers did because of the way that my hike was funded. It was crowdfunded. You know, I for for anybody who's listening who isn't aware. I cut off my fingers last October 
and all the money I had saved got blown in the recovery of that, you know, paying for a hospital and, you know, whatever else I had to pay for at that time. So when I thought my hike was done, when I wasn't going to be able to do it, I had a few people reach out and say, Hey, if you start a GoFundMe, we will contribute to it. So I did it not thinking it was going to go anywhere and it happened to have gone somewhere thanks to some really incredible people. But I can honestly say throughout my entire hike that the only thing that got me through was the compassion and support of other people, whether it be the people in those trail towns or the people who, you know, supported my hike or even just reached out to me and said, Hey, I love what you're doing. This is awesome. You know, that's incredible, man. So how, how does a hike of the Appalachian trail end? Like, what is the, what is the ending of that experience? Like the end is hard. The end is really hard. So it ends you, you, the, the last couple of days you go through something which is called the hundred mile wilderness, which is relatively the terrain is relatively easier than all the terrain that you've done for the last 200 miles through New Hampshire. But then you end up at Mount Katahdin, which is known as the hardest climb of the AT. It's a 4,000 footer, um, which, you know, I, I went through quite a few 4,000 footers in, in my hike, but this one was way different. This was a really hard climb. There was a lot of, um, maneuvering over boulders that looked like if you put your foot in the wrong spot you were gonna take a really hard fall and you get to the top it's very emotional you have this you know you touch the sign at the top and you take your picture with it and you're up there and you realize i have to hike four miles to get to the bottom of this mountain now oh wow wow (laughs) yeah so you just hiked 2,192 miles and you're celebrating your finish and you're having a grand old time. And then you realize I still have to hike today. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it, all in all, like my, my girlfriend came up and she did the hike up Katahdin with me. It was, it was a very hard hike for her, but I, I'm not good with heights. So having her there with me helped me cause she's a rock climber. So having her there with me helped me get over those really hard parts where Part of my brain was just like, eh, I can say I did right. it, you know. And and then what happens right after? Like, I I'd have to think like you. That's something you were doing for four months. Like that's your, you know, as big of a life change as it was to start. You know what what is it like to come to quote unquote come back from that experience? So there's a um, phenomenon for through hikers for for actually for people who generally backpack longer periods of time. Uh, called post trail depression and it hits some people harder than others i feel like my immediate move to vermont at the end of my hike really helped me not get hit so hard by post trail depression because there's so many outdoors things to do here there's a lot of people who have hiked either the appalachian trail or the long trail or just enjoy hiking in general that i can kind of geek out about it with so I've heard stories of other people who've hiked different trails and they go home and they try to talk to people about it. And it's just, they're surrounded by people who, you know, don't even know that these trails exist. They don't understand backpacking. It's just big whoop. You walk through the woods for four months, you know, so they get hit pretty hard with the post repression where it's just, you're doing this thing for so long and it's such a big accomplishment for you. And then nobody cares, you know? So for me moving to Vermont, I think it was, the best possible move for me to do to mitigate the problems that come from assimilation back into society after a long trail hike. 
something you said just really stuck out to me. Like when you talked about, you know, you've, you've accomplished this thing that most people don't. And then, but just by looking at you now, there's no way for anyone to know that you did it. Right. Exactly. And, and just like there, just like right now, there's no way for no, for anyone to know looking at you that you lost 200 pounds, you know, as great, you know, as much as you can get recognition for that on social media and recognition for the hiking on social media, you know, because of people following that experience and seeing it on your profile, like in day-to-day life, like in day-to-day life, it's, it's, it's about what, what you get out of it for yourself. Like where, you know, what is, what are, exactly. what are the pieces you take away? And it sounds like there was a lot there for you to take away. I think that's, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. There really was. What is your advice to someone out there listening who says, I've always wanted to do this. I want to do this. Like, what is your advice to someone who's thinking about doing the trail? Uh, I mean, even, even if it's not about hiking, you know, the Appalachian trail or any long trail, um, the advice that I try to give to people who want to accomplish any kind of big lofty life-changing goal is to put it out there, pick pick the time and place that you want to do it and make everything in your life about getting to that point, no matter what in, in the time between now and then, you know? So what I did is I decided, I set a date, I'm going to hike the Appalachian trail. I'm going to start on this day. So everything that I did, I know you followed my social media where like, I had a day off and like I said, I'd go out and hike 10 miles just to be prepared for that. Everything I did was of the mentality of, okay, this is to benefit my, my, my AT hike. This is to benefit my hike. This is even, even the foods that I ate, I'm losing weight now to benefit my hike, you know? So everything that I did was about making sure that that still happened. And sometimes you have to sacrifice things. Sometimes you have to give up certain things that you love. I, I literally, I, I let my old my former roommate have the dog that we shared together i walked away from him i sold my car i moved away from austin i left a, a couple great jobs with great employers and great coworkers, and i'd sold everything that i loved like i had everything boiled down to two check bags and it was mostly my clothes and i moved back to new jersey because that was the best thing to do for my hike i couldn't i was not about to afford a, a, a lease while i was hiking because it's silly to pay for, you know, that thousand dollars a month while you're not even living in the apartment, you know? So the easiest thing for me was to get rid of everything and not have a lease and just do without the things that I was comfortable with. So I guess to, to boil that all down, it, it's do everything you can to accomplish that goal, pick a, a time and a date and a, and a place and work to get to that goal no matter what. Right. Manifest it, make it, make it something. Instead of just saying, I want to do like saying, this is when I am going to do it. Like, like turn it into, yes, exactly. Turn thought into action. And I think that's the, that goes back to like, when I, when, when I talk a lot about telling people just to get started, like on a weight loss journey, Yes. like don't stop talking about what your plan is going to be. Stop talking to yourself about what you're going to do and start actually doing it. Like exactly create, create the reality you want to live in like that. I think that's, I, I was reading um, a passage, I think it was yesterday, um, just in a devotional that, I, that I'm a part of, and it's, it, it said, be t- become today the person you want to be tomorrow. Yes, that, that's great words to live by. Exactly. Like, that struck me. Like, it's not, 
I, this is the person I want to be. I, you know, I have to believe that I am that person. And maybe I can't do everything that that person is going to do yet. You know, maybe I'm too, maybe I'm 200 pounds overweight. Maybe I'm 300 pounds overweight. Maybe I can't run a mile in five minutes yet. But I have to live my life like I am that person because I want to do the things that that person does. Exactly. And I did that at the beginning of my weight loss. I, I decided I'm going to wake up every day and I'm going to eat the foods appropriate for the person, for a person, for the person that I believe that I am. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm going to eat those foods. I'm going to get the movements in as if I am this, you know, 220 pound guy, you know, when I was 400 pounds, you know, and that's kind of in 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 essence that's exactly how i did it i i, I just manifested it i i woke up every day and i am that person i don't care what i actually look like i am that person so matt there i i do have a couple other topics i want to talk about with you uh first though i want to know like so you mm-hmm. so matt you hiked 2200 miles are you done with moving on your feet or what's what, what, what's been spurred on now from what's coming next for you? you? You started to talk about it a little bit, but share with everyone out there listening what you're doing next. Being the overachiever that I am, right after I finished hiking the Appalachian Trail, actually the weekend that I finished, I went and volunteered at uh, the Vermont 100, which is a 100-mile trail race in Vermont. And, um, it's an ultra marathon. And while I was doing that, I, I got the opportunity to, to provide aid for a guy named, uh, Joe McConaughey that he goes by the trail named string bean who set the fastest known time on the Appalachian trail. Immediately in my head, it struck a chord. These two things coincide. So I committed just like I do. I committed to next year. I am running the Vermont 100. So in order to do that, you have to, within a year before that, you have to qualify by running a 50-mile or longer race in under 12 hours. So I had to sign up immediately for the Tark Fall Classic, which is a trail animals running club. They have a, a, a run in somewhere in the Boston area in uh, like two or three more weeks, and I have to run 50 miles in under 12 hours. So I've been running, yeah, I've been running quite a lot to, to accomplish that goal. Um, so no, I'm not done moving on my feet. And in fact, I'm probably doing bigger feats than I ever did on the Appalachian trail in the future. Uh, also outside of that, I'm, I've also been, um, linked up with an organization called the Oscar Mike organization who they're, they're dedicated to helping, um, wounded veterans stay on the move, so to speak. So they help them get through like OCRs, obstacle course races and Spartans and, you know, any other kind of event that they want to go through. Um, and so like I, I'm doing tunnels, to towers in a couple of weeks and, uh, I'm, I'm getting more involved in rucks and in uh, wounded warrior type of, you know, benefit and things like that as well. So everything to benefit my training in moving forward with bigger runs and also finding ways to give back, um, so to speak. That's great. It sounds like you're building some, some real connections. Um, to what your yeah. experience has been in building on everything, like not letting, not letting the the end of the trail be the peak. You know, as much as you climb, you you climb the the toughest mountain on that trail. There, there's some other mountains out there for you still to come. That's really awesome, man. Yeah, the Appalachian Trail will not be the biggest thing that Matt Shin does in his life. Oh, I have I have no doubts about that. Um, <laughs> no doubts at all, man. Like you're 
I, I, I think that's what, I mean, that's one of the things that drew me first to, you know, to, to start communicating with you was your spirit, you know, that you clearly displayed through everything. And then it, it morphed into, okay, I'm leaving Austin and I'm going to do the trail. And I remember, th- I, it, and it was almost like, you know, you're, we're all living vicariously through you as you're on the trail. And yeah, it did seem like that. I like, cause it, and it would, there were a couple of times you obviously hit like dead zones or hard times and, you know, you weren't posting or, or replying to messages right away. And you would be like, okay, where's Matt at? Like, what's going on with Matt now? Like what's happening next with Matt? Like get like <laughs> almost like following this reality yeah. TV show uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah. I would, I would have like a three day stretch where I have no service. And I finally get service. And I, have, I have like 10 messages like, Hey, we haven't heard from you. Are, are you okay? Everything okay. You know, it was really fun to see that. Oh, there were people that there were people that would DM me and be like, "You know, Matt, is he okay? Have you heard from him yet?" I'm like, "I'm like, I'm sure he just doesn't have service. We'll see. That's I'm sure amazing. We'll see. We'll see soon. We'll see soon." <laughs> yeah. it, it was it was that 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 sense of community out there watching you, I think, was great too. But I remember I remember when it ended for you, and immediately you you're I think you then post like one of the next things you posted was like you sitting at one of the checkpoints in the on the Vermont race, and I was like is he running a race now? And I think I might've even DM'd you and, and been like, are you running a race right now? Like, what are you doing? And you're like, no, I'm helping with the race. I'm like, okay. Cause I got very concerned that you were like, I'm done with the trail. What's coming next? <laughs> no, because that's the, that's the energy and the spirit that I see Absolutely. in you. Like, it's not like, you know, like I, I don't see this person who's looking to find ways to fall back into old habits, yeah. habits and old patterns. Yeah. Like I, I see that you've built and developed like, a real sense of self and, and purpose, mm-hmm. which is, I think, fantastic. I can say I will admit that um, I was posting content from that race as a teaser. That I was going to announce that I was going to run that race the following year. <laughs> well, you got you got to sling content. You you know you got to yeah, you got to exactly. build up to it. Like you have to you got to give the people what they want. You know, much much in the same way you would post the food you were eating on the trail because that would just you know trigger yeah. people. So that was you know fantastic. You know. I I, re- I remember one of the first times you posted something that was not really low carb. Yeah. And you were like, this is gonna, this is going to trigger some of you. Like, you mm-hmm. know, immediately people are going to be like, he's dying on the trail. <laughs> he ate a, he ate a, he drank a soda. His yep. soul is lost. Yep. You know, he drank a soda. He's fallen back to the dark side. Oh yeah. Um, but one, one of the other things, like we've been talking for a while and I don't want to hold you up all day. But one of the other thing, and I don't want to just jump into this next topic lightly, but one of the things that you started to talk about a little bit and you put out, it's, it's a, in your profile, and I, th- I think it's something you've dealt with personally, but also you want to advocate for is mental health issues. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and I think it's something that men shy away from talking about. Um, so, so I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about kind of your perspective on advocating for those issues and your thoughts for people and, and just so see if we could dive into that a little bit, just so we could take some time, you know, to, to peel that back a little bit, because I think sometimes even if we break it down to just talk about like, you know, a weight loss or an mm-hmm. alcohol issue, um, a, a food issue, we, we focus too much sometimes yes. on the physical and we don't think about, you know, the mental side of things, what else mm-hmm. comes into play? Like, you know, what else can happen? Yeah. So I, I'm very well known, at least in the early parts of my social media narrative to have said that you cannot have physical health without having mental health first. You know, um, there is a stigma behind mental health awareness in men and honestly in adults in general, you know, 
there's there's a lot of there's there's a lot of perceived weakness in being aware of your mental health and there is even a lot of people who claim to be aware of their mental health but then don't ever take control of it and don't ever take the steps that they need to take to try and react differently to their surroundings. Instead, they expect their surroundings to react differently to them once they do announce that they have these awarenesses of their mental health. And for me, it's kind of a, a twofold thing where you have to learn to understand yourself and how you react to the world, but then you can't let that affect the way that you're, you are reacting to the world and you have to try and find ways to relate to the world around you in a better way that doesn't trigger the issues that you are now aware of, if that makes any sense at all. So for me, for me, the, it, it was, there was a lot of mental health issues tied to the alcoholism. There was a lot of, um, the expectancy of masculinity. There's a lot of, um, a lot of stoicism and I can't let people see that I'm upset. I can't let people see that I'm bothered by things. And I think a lot of men deal with that in general, you know, and for me, my narrative is, is partially about just um, getting out there and normalizing the idea that you can be, you can be manly, you can achieve things, you can be forward thinking and you can, try to do better in your life and still be aware and talk about the, the mental health issues that you deal with. You know, I, I've had, I've had issues where I've been in very, very dark times and, you know, have considered, you know, suicide. And I in fact have a semicolon tattooed on my hand with the letters PMA, positive mental attitude to remind myself those times that I have gone through in my life. Now I can honestly say that I relate to the world in a much better way and I have not had those dark, dark feelings in a very long time. And I can attribute that mostly to in the past couple of years taking steps to become the type of person who I'm proud to be. I know that was very long-winded. <laughs> yeah. No, not at all. And I, I think it's a great I think it's a great perspective. And I I think we miss out on that yeah. that mind and body connection too often. And there are times that, you know, because I, I, I think there's times that people take it in the wrong direction and they think, you know, especially like I'll put it the frame of the, the mutual frame of reference we share is is weight issues. Um, you, you, you look at it's the it's the meme of someone saying, you know, I lost yep. weight, but it didn't change any of my problems, you know, because you assume that one is going to necessarily lead to the other, the core, you know, correlation, causation, all of that. But I think there is something to be said about, you know, when you start to not just focus on weight exactly. loss, but focus on building yourself mm -hmm. as a healthier person overall and start thinking about your whole being. Yeah. One, you become more in tune with your emotions and you become more into, and like it, it becomes easier, I think, on some levels to start to realize, is this just, you know, am I just having a mood swing or is this something that actually is a problem? Like what's happening? Like, am I being dominated by these thought patterns or is it being driven by something else? And when you take away, you know, because realistically, like that's the other thing I, I, I think people don't get is, you know, food, food and mental health issues can be, yeah. you know, entwined as a two way street. Like yep. the types of food you eat can drive depression, can drive those chemical processes like can just keep reinforcing it. It might not necessarily be the cause. I don't want anyone out there being like, 
He's saying stop eating Twinkies and my depression goes right. away. That's not right. at all what I'm saying. But what I am saying is when you're not feeding your body properly, you're not feeding your mind properly. You know, but when you get that in line, it becomes, you know, the challenge of, of identifying what else needs to be worked on, you know, can become a little more clear, can come a little more into focus, mostly because your perspective shifts on your willingness to look at and examine things for yourself. Like you're, you're not just trying to, like you, I think this is one of the things that you said early on during our discussion that mm -hmm. resonated really deeply for me was, you know, avoiding what was really there, yeah. you know, avoiding it's really as human beings, like we accept a lot. Like I accepted the fact that I had open right. wounds on my legs, right. you know, that leaked fluid, you know, like I, I got up every day and yeah. put a bandage on that. And I never once, I, di I didn't run into an mm -hmm. emergency room and say, save me. Like, I, I just accepted that that was the life that I was living. Like, I, I think it's incredible to me the amount and like, and it goes to when people are being abused or when they're dealing with a mental health issue. Like, we, the, the resilience of the human spirit and of the mind is an amazing thing. And then also it can be a, a weakness sometimes. Absolutely. Like the, our, our willingness to tolerate can end up being our downfall. And when you, it's when you stop tolerating that for yourself. And that's when you might realize that you can't do something alone, you know, that you need help. And whether that's the help of a counselor or some kind of chemical help or something along those lines, whatever a person ends up needing. And that's a whole nother avenue that we're, we, we don't have to go down today per se, you know, treatment, treatment philosophy. But because I'm sure there'd be feelings on that. But I think just that idea that like you have to really like one, reframe it to know the person you want to be. And two, be willing to look at everything you're doing and see how it's affecting your ability to get there. Like, is it, is it just one thing or another, or is it 10 different things that need to be looked at? Right. And it's, it's a, it's a road that you can never really be fully done traveling either. You know, I, I, <clears throat> I've improved my mental health status by leaps and bounds in the last two, three years. But, you know, even like you just spoke about not be, not doing it alone. I had a conversation with my girlfriend today where, you know, I, she asked me what she can do to help me in our conversation. We, we had a little bit of an argument and I told her, you know, nothing. This is all me. I, I have to just figure out what I'm doing. And she's like, stop, you're not doing this alone. You know, and that, that resonates with me the, the way, the same way that, you know, you just said that you can do it alone. It's, I have to accept that I don't have to do everything by myself at this point. You know, I've, I've done so much in improving myself, but now I can, I can address the fact that I have trouble reaching out for help to other people. You know, I was going to say that there's, there's always something around the corner. There's always another issue, you know, as you're working on one thing or, or, or one, one point in your mental health status that may uncover or even just bring up a whole other aspect that you have to deal with. And it's just, it's a road that you're never done traveling. You're always going to be working on something. And honestly, you should be always working on bettering yourself as a person, you know, whether it's through learning or advocating or even just working on yourself for a minute, shut everything else out and make sure that you're good. You know? Right. It's, it's like leaning. And I was saying this to someone actually very, or very, very, very early this morning um, that I just randomly started DMing with who I hadn't before. Um, like life, there's discomfort in life. And it's not always a bad thing. 
And in fact, it, it's almost as if we have to somehow keep feeling, being willing to lean into that discomfort to keep ourselves yeah. moving forward and growing. And it's, we, we, we fall backwards and get stagnant when we decide that comfort is the goal. Absolutely. When we, when we decide that the status quo is enough, the status quo slips away pretty dang fast. Yes. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, especially for a lot of us, especially dealing with addiction issues. Like when you, ex when you, when you stop fighting, it doesn't mean the fight is over. It means that, you know, you're, you're seeding ground. You're, you're giving up some of that footing that you've built and it coming, you have to come to the, and this is something that I know that I've personally gone through. Like I've had to come to, to grips with the fact that I have to be okay with knowing that there's going to be a journey that never ends. I have to be okay with knowing that the struggle will, will change and get, have easier days and harder days, but it will always be there because there is no finish line in our lives until we die. Like until you're dead, there's no finish line. And even then after that, you know, who knows what people, believe. <laughs> but you know, it's like, let's, and, but I, and I think that's like on these journeys, especially like, you know, especially men that I talk to that are, you know, have had weight loss journeys that have gone, you know, in the up and down directions, like they, a lot of us had that mentality that once you hit a certain weight, everything's done, you're done, you've mm -hmm. succeeded. And it's about having to know what the, and even if the next challenge isn't weight, like I know for me, I'm identifying what my next challenges are and they're going to have nothing to do with my body right. weight, like the actual weight right. of my body. Like, and that's, that has to be okay. And that has to be as driving of a force as wanting to save my life through weight. Absolutely. Like, I have to, I have to want the rest of that life as much as possible. And that's why like, it's amazing to me. Like you talk about people's perspective on the, on people hiking the Appalachian trail, thinking that. They're just these, you know, weirdo hippies that come off the trail and have no direction in life. And I, I, all I can think about is like, how could you come out of that experience and not have some kind of direction? Right. Like, how could you come out of, you know, conquering something and not say, I need, I've, wow, I did do that. Like, what else can I do? And I think that's the energy and momentum you have to build. Like when you, whether you lose 20 pounds or 200 pounds, like you did that. So what are you going to conquer next? Like, what do you move on to next? And if, the same thing with, with mental health challenges. Like, so you figure out, you know, it, you have an independence issue and work on that for yourself. And then maybe you realize that you've become too independent or, or you're relying too much on X, Y, and Z. And like being, being willing to have awareness about yourself, I think is, is the key to it all in the end. And knowing what, knowing that it's time sometimes to reach out for help from other people is, is like you said, like it's, a, it's the hardest thing but it can also be the most rewarding. Like I found that through my experience, finally taking on a coach, you know, something I never thought I would want to do or need to do. Like at first I thought I had shame. I, I, I felt like it was admitting that I didn't know what I was doing, you know, but then I realized it's because I, I was entering a part of my journey that I hadn't really entered mindfully before and I needed support. And there's nothing wrong with not knowing what you're doing when it's something that you've never done before, you know? Exactly. Like saying that I don't know, like uh, for a lot of us, you know, especially for, you know, type A organized personalities, admitting that you don't know how to do something is incredibly hard. It's yeah, it, it absolutely is. It can also be the only way you end up moving forward. Well, Matt, we, we've been talking for a while. Is there anything that we haven't talked about yet that you want to dive into today or anything you feel like we didn't cover? Uh, no, I, I think, uh, out of all of the podcasts that I've done in the past, this is definitely the one that I'm going to walk away from and not feel like this, that one last thing that I wanted to say and never got to say. 
Well, that, that's awesome. That's awesome. And don't worry. Something that like I'm I'm now incorporating into the podcast. We're, we there's still going to be some more stuff for you to talk about because I I'm introducing a new feature called the Fat Guy Five. It it's five, okay. it's five questions. Uh, you don't have to give essay answers on all of them. If you have a short answer, great. If you mm -hmm. have a long answer, that's great too. Uh, but I'm going to give you I'm mm -hmm. going to throw those five questions to you one at a time, and, and then after there we'll talk about how people get in touch with you. Sound good? Yeah, that sounds great. Hey there, everybody. It's Gourmet. We had a couple technical difficulties, but things seem to be back on track. I'm here to wrap up this awesome discussion with Matt by getting into our new feature, the Fat Guy 5, where I throw five questions at the guests and see what their answers are. So we um, are going to go. Are you ready for it, Matt? Oh, I'm ready. Okay. So living or dead, this is question number one. Living or dead, who is your favorite fat guy? I'm going to have to go with James Gandolfini, or otherwise known as Tony Soprano. Uh, you know, my New Jersey roots, I've always loved the Sopranos, and there's always some mystique around the type of guy, the type of power that a man like Tony Soprano could hold. I like it, man. I like it. I think that's a good, that's a good start for this. Uh, question number two, thinking back to when you were at your heaviest, Matt, what was your quintessential fat guy meal? Oh, that's hard to say. Um, my see, my biggest vice was always beer. So um, realistically, it would probably be like a Domino's pizza and wings and a six pack of beer. You know, after on my day off or or after a, a, a happy hour shift, and just like hang out and play video games and eat pizza and drink beer. There you go, man. That that's actually. I mean. If you look at what the word quintessential means, I think that 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 fits it. That fits it. Yes. Question number three. Question number three. What is your one biggest tip to other fat guys out there who want to make change? My biggest tip to other fat guys and generally anybody who has a lofty goal that they would like to achieve is um, I can sum it up in one phrase. Shoot first, aim later. So just take that first step. Start doing what you wanted to do. Start moving and, and start taking the, the proper steps. And eventually, as you learn and do your research, you'll be able to hone in a little bit more on what you're trying to do. But if you start now, you're going to be worlds ahead of if you stopped and did all the research and planned it all out and then took the steps six months later. Excellent. Kind of continuing in that vein is question number four. What book? podcast or other resource would you suggest to someone who needs motivation oh so my big one right now is own the day own your life by uh, aubrey marcus i have read that book at least three times now and i'm actually in the middle of it again right now because it's it's just chock full of information and for me i'm not big on self-help kind of motivational stuff i just i like facts and i like to be told this is this is how this certain thing affects your body, and here's how you can change that. And that's what Aubrey Marcus does. You know, he's he's at the head of the Audit Academy, and he does a lot of great things for the body and the body composition, and it's it's a great thing. Also, um, the Mask of Masculinity by Lewis House that really helped me understand myself a little bit better and take steps towards becoming a better person with my mental health. 
I, I like that those are the two books you hit because I actually have had both of them for a while and haven't read either one. Mm. So I gotta I gotta move them to the top of my stack. I gotta I gotta get those yeah, get those in line. I gotta get those in line. Um, you absolutely should. They're they're incredibly helpful books, and if anybody out there hasn't read them yet, I highly recommend checking them out. That's awesome. And our last question for you today, Matt, uh, from the Fat Guy Five, at least. Can you tell us one of your non-weight loss or fitness goals for the next year? Non-weight loss or fitness goals for the next year. Uh, we talked about how I'm planning to run the Vermont 100 in less than a year. So definitely planning on um, being able to run 100 miles within a 24-hour stretch. And on top of that, I intend to to some extent be taking steps towards becoming a business owner and taking control of my um, career and work life and in a, in a big way. So hopefully a year from now, I at least plan to have some kind of plan to action to do that. I think that sounds great. And having talked to you today, I have no doubt that you're going to, you're going to make all of those things happen, man. You're definitely going to, I, I can't wait to see, I can't wait to see what happens for you over the next year. That means so, a lot Matt, to me. Definitely, definitely, dude. Uh, it's been great for us to have this conversation. And I want to give you a chance. This, you know, it's your, it's your, last, your last moment. Uh, <laughs> on the Fat Guy Forum, this is your, this is our, our we're going to wrap things up. I want to give you a chance to say anything uh, that you want to end with and also tell people how they can reach out and connect to you, man. Okay. So um, the biggest thing that I want to leave people with in, in any conversation, whether it be, you know, with, you know, fat guys and talking about health and, you know, your body and all that stuff, or, you know, my friends and talking about mental health. If, if at any time anybody needs help with anything, don't ever be afraid to reach out to somebody who knows more or has done it, has been through it, or can even just be the ear that needs to listen to what you have to say. Um, there's always people out there who are willing to help myself included. And I think that the internet is a great tool to help us connect with each other in, you know, even with these podcasts, it's a great way to, to connect with each other and kind of share our experiences together because we're not alone. Um, also to that note, if anybody does want to reach out to me or just follow my journey and see what I'm up to next, you can follow me at Matt Burns fat on Instagram, also on Facebook, Matt Burns fat as well. Awesome. I will definitely put links to all of that in our show notes today. Thank you again so much, Matt. I really appreciate your time uh, making sure we were able to make this discussion happen. I know Absolutely. You, you, you've you come off some recent big adventures and you have some even bigger ones ahead. So <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. And it's I, been... I... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, you go ahead. You go ahead. I, I was just going it, it's to been, it's been hard for us to connect to do this because, you know, living in Vermont now, and being outside and everything so much that I never have cell phone connection. So I'm just, I'm really happy that we finally got a chance to do this. Definitely, man. It's something I've wanted to make happen for a long time. So I'm, I'm glad we did. And I'm excited for everyone to hear this conversation we just had. And for those of you who, who for some reason want to connect with me too, after you connect with Matt, you can find me on Instagram at Gourmet underscore goes underscore keto. Also on Twitter at Gourmet Goes Keto, no dashes or anything. And you can always email the show at thefatguyforum at gmail.com. Once again, I'm going to remind you, 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 if you're not inspired by Matt's story, uh, I don't know if you have a pulse or not. But if you are, 
find something to go do and amaze yourself today because you're amazing people. We will see you next time on the Fat Guy Forum. Or hear, you'll hear us next time, I guess. Not see yet. Not see. Thank you.